0: Thankful for God's word, of course. That is a it is a light in this dark world, and, uh, and it's sad how little it gets used, even though it has the answers for everything. And uh, not only does it have the answers, it had it it's had the answers for thousands of years. That's what uh, uh, makes the Bible so special. Is that uh, before uh, I'm amazed you go in the Book of Job and before. Uh, people were sure about things. Uh, uh, the, it talks about the Bible talks about the circle of the earth, the wind uh, flowing in kind of circuits or currents, the the rain cycle, all these other scientific things that they figured out later. The Bible already explained it, and they just refused to admit it. Uh, and then there's a lot of things today that they're saying, well, uh, the Bible's not right in these things. And I'm thinking, well, you just haven't figured out that you're wrong is really what, uh, what the truth is. But I'm glad uh, God's word is still uh, just as current today uh, as when these events took place. So I want to look at, uh, like I said, Judges chapter 6. We're gonna start in verse one. It says this And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them unto the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel, and because of the Midianites the children of Israel made them the dens which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. And so it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites came up, and the Amalekites and the children of the east, even they came up against them. And they encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth. Till thou come unto Gaza and n- left no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor ass, for they came up with their cattle and their tents, and they came as grasshoppers for multitude, for both they and their camels were without number, and they entered into the land to destroy it. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites that the Lord sent a prophet unto the children. Of Israel, which said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt, and I brought you forth out of the house of bondage, and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, and out of the hand of all that oppressed you, and drave them out uh, from before you, and gave you their land. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God, fear not the gods of the Amorites, in whose land ye dwell, but ye have not obeyed my voice. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you again for this time that you've given to us. Lord, And I pray that you would use me, that you'd fill me with the unction of the Holy Spirit. Lord, that you'd help us to understand your word. Help us to, not just to learn it in our heads, but apply it to our lives, to draw closer to you and live uh, according to your will. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all these things. In Jesus' name we pray and amen. So the book of judges, uh, it's a unique period for the children of Israel, you know, after they've gotten into the promised land, but before the time of the kings, uh, is the book of judges. And the very last verse pretty much sums up the whole book. Uh, chapter 21, verse 25 says in those days, there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And you think about that statement, there was no authority, no king. Uh, and uh, there' there is so each man decided what their morals would be how they would live uh what would be right and wrong uh they decided each what their truth would be and i think today that sounds like today doesn't it that sounds like the uh the attitudes of people and the spiritual uh, uh area that we're in right now as people are making up their own truth making up their own morals what's right and wrong and it's ever-changing and that's what he's saying uh, uh god is trying to show us that hey during this time if a man saw something that he thought was right then it, that was law I mean that's all the law they needed was that right there and I'm telling you that's why this society is in such trouble today is because they are deciding in their own eyes what's right and wrong and I'll tell you what our eyes can't see clearly uh, it takes the word of God and that's how we need to uh, that's what we need to live by and we're seeing as a, on a, a national level not that, not that we can say a nation but we are seeing a a nation full of people trying to do the same thing and you will not prove God wrong. You live the life of a sinner. You will reap what you sow, and and we will see the consequences of it. So, uh, so we see uh, that God's people were disobedient. A lot of times they were worshiping false gods. That always goes hand in hand, usually with it. And it was mentioned uh, at, at the end of chapter one in Judges, and it lists the group of people in chapter one that they didn't drive out. So remember, uh, they go into the promised land. They're starting to take over, uh, but they leave a whole. Bunch of groups and Deuteronomy seven one and two says this: When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land whither thou goest to possess it, and hath cast out many nations before thee, the Hittites, the Gergesites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites—seven nations greater and mightier than thou—and when the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them and utterly destroy them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. And here's the problem. You get to Judges chapter 1 after that time of Joshua, after the conquering time, and it lists the tribe of Manasseh, Ephraim, Zebulun, and Asher all failed to drive out Canaanites in their area. And that's the problem. God said, I want them all gone. But what they decided is they'll just be our, our, you know, they'll just give us tribute. You know, they will uh, uh, they'll they'll almost be not like a slave, but they will pay us each year out of what they grow or their flocks or whatever. Uh, They'll they'll do work that we don't want to do. And we'll just let them stay here and intermingle with us. God said, no, I want them totally gone. I want them eliminated. Uh, I don't want any trace of them anymore. And in fact, in Deuteronomy twelve three, he said, I want you to destroy their altars, their pillars, their groves, their graven images of their gods. And he said, even this, destroy the names of them out of that place. He said, if the town is named after a false god, I want you to get rid of that name. That's how much God wanted it out of there. And they did not do that. You know what that tells me today? God was saying, don't you dare build a museum of false worship. And say, oh, it's for historical purposes and everything else. He said, no, get rid of it. Because you keep any trace of that and it will become a snare to you. It will it will trap you. You will get it back, uh, and uh, but the children of Israel disobeyed, and you know they're probably reasoning in themselves because here that's what we do. Logic takes over, and we're thinking, you know what? We could have a stronger economy. We could build, uh, you know, a better uh, better cities and everything else if we just have them live alongside of us instead of fighting them and everything else. But Joshua warned them in the end, near the end of his life, Joshua twenty three thirteen. I kind of ahead on this. He said, they shall be snares and traps unto you and scourges in your sides and thorns in your eyes until ye perish from off this good land, which the Lord, your God hath given you. And the angel of the Lord reminds them of that very thing in Judges 2, 3. And then we see a cycle in the book of Judges that happens multiple times. And here's how the cycle begins. It begins with disobedience, right? They disobey the Lord. Then next, the Lord allows their enemies to defeat them. He allows some enemy uh, to overtake them, to defeat them. Then they get in this period of distress. Life's hard now, right? They've got an enemy. Uh, they're, they're in bondage or whatever. Life's hard. They're in distress. And then finally, they cry out to the Lord, right? They cry. Finally, they, they call out to the Lord, Lord, save us from this. And then he sends a deliverer or a judge, And then the judge takes over, overthrows the enemy, and then they have a time of peace, and then they start all over again. And This is the cycle. This is what Judges does. The first cycle starts in chapter 3, verse 7. They start serving Balaam. The Lord gets angry, uh, uh, and he allows the king of Mesopotamia, his name is huge. I'm not going to try it tonight, but to rule over them for eight years. Then finally the children of Israel cry out. The Lord raises up Othniel to deliver the people, and then he, he does, and he judges them for 40 years. Then he dies, and then what happens? They, uh, they disobey the Lord. Uh, then as Eglon king of Moab goes against them next the Lord raises up Ehud to deliver them uh, then there's peace for a while and then Jabin king of, they disobey again and Jabin king of Canaan uh, uh, takes over and then the Lord uses Deborah and Barak to deliver them after, the, uh, after they cry to the Lord so we see this cycle going over and over and over again And what happens in chapter six, verse one, that we started in our passage and the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They're starting it over again, right? They're they're starting over again. That last judge was gone. Uh, They forget about it. They forget about righteousness. They forget about the oppression. They forget about the Lord delivering them the last time and they start disobeying again. And here's the thing, whenever they started worshiping other gods, serving other gods than the one true God, they are forgetting how the Lord even brought them there, right? The Lord established their nation, he brought them out of Egypt, he fed them in the wilderness, he protected them, he gave them victory in the promised land, and gave them that land forever, and and they would forget because of the victories of the Lord, they would forget that it was the Lord doing it, and start to think it was them doing it, they'd forget that they were small than all the nations around them, less powerful and everything else. And they would start to uh, uh, trade in the invisible God that they couldn't see for gods that they could touch and see and handle and everything else. They just kept doing that. But here's the thing. I think spiritually, uh, Christians can forget uh, how we got to where we are today, too. We can forget that it wasn't because of our hard work. It wasn't because of what we've done. Uh, If we've got any success or anything else uh, in this Christian life, it's not because of our strength or our plans. It's because of Jesus Christ. Any good thing that we've done comes from the Lord. Any good thing, any success comes because of faith and because we trusted the Lord Uh, when, when it there were things missing and that uh, there were things unseen and we said, Lord, I don't understand. It doesn't make sense. Lord, uh, I I don't want to do this. I don't feel ready, but I'm just going to trust you. It's in those times that the Lord works. But then afterward, if we forget, then we can become prideful and then we can turn to other make things uh, take the spot of God in our lives and take over our affections and everything else. And here's the thing is they stopped relying on God. As they stopped worshiping God, as they stopped praying and crying out to the Lord, they replaced it with sin. And that's the same pattern you see too. The closer you are to God, the closer you are to his word, the closer you are in prayer and everything else, the more seriously you take these things, uh, uh, that we, uh, then the less we sin. It's just it, the more we serve him, uh, the more we dedicate to him, the less we sin. It, it is definitely connected together. And the same thing with them. And then the Lord saw it, right? That's what it says. They did evil in the sight of the Lord. He saw what they were doing. He sees what we're doing too. We can't hide from him. The nation couldn't hide. We couldn't hide from him. And he delivers them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And again, the end of chapter 5, they had 40 years of rest from their enemies. 40 years of peace, and now the enemies are oppressing them. So you think about that. All those blessings for 40 years, all that protection, all that peace from the Lord, uh, all that it did was made them become complacent. It didn't have to, but that's what it did. They had a slow fade. They were relying on the Lord. They were constantly praying, and that turned into casual prayer and and just needing the Lord from time to time and just casually getting into the scriptures and casually teaching it to their children and everything else and doing, uh, you know, maybe uh, participating in things when it was convenient. Uh, And, you know, they used to flee from temptation, and now they just dabble in it, right? You know, a little bit's not going to hurt. And then this is what causes them to go uh, from being close to God from trusting God, from knowing that it's God that's uh, brought them there and kept them there, to now they're trusting in idols and everything else. And the Lord saw it all. The Lord delivering them into the hand of Midian actually shows His grace. See, that's strange, isn't it? Where It shows His mercy. It shows that He loves them. And You're thinking, now Mike, that sounds crazy. You're you're meaning to tell me him delivering them into the hand of the enemy shows love, mercy, and grace? Yes, because the Lord could have left them. He could have stepped away and said, you know what, I'm done with all of you. And they could have been completely overrun and they'd be done because that's what would happen today. If the Lord took his hand of protection off of Israel, they'd be wiped off the map, right? Every enemy would go against them immediately. And they're going to try one day. It's not going to work. But he didn't do that. What he was doing is he said, I'm going to to make life harder for them. I'm going to let the enemy oppress them to get their attention. That's what he was doing. That's mercy. Because he didn't leave them alone. He didn't quit on them. He, uh, uh, he, He let them make these decisions. He let them go down the wrong path. But then he sent correction to get them back on track. That's what he did. And it's described, that oppression in verses 2 through 6, uh, you see how bad it was. They had to hide. They had to go from their cities. They're hiding in the dens and the mountains and the caves. Uh, they're hiding from their enemies. And they, uh, when they were doing God's will, they never hid from their enemies. They were never scared of the enemies. In fact, Ai uh, is the, only, the, the time that they were only running, right? They, normally, they were just going forward and taking and everything else and being victorious. And not only that, it talks about harvest time. They would put in all the work. They'd, they would uh, sow the seed. They would till it. They would do all these things. And finally, when it came time to harvest, the enemy would come and steal it all. Right? He'd do all the work and not get any of the benefits. That's what, they, that's what was happening. Farming is hard work and they didn't even get to taste it, but it went to the enemy, stole their cattle, their sheep, their ox. They destroyed the land and it just summed up uh, in verse six. It says Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. They're in hiding and their sin was making all that hard work go down the drain. It reminds me of passages like, uh, uh, I don't I don't remember which one it is, if it's Habakkuk. I think it might be Habakkuk. Uh, I may be wrong. But it talks about you've put money in bags with holes in it. And you could just imagine that visual of the money just kind of slowly falling out as they're walking away with it. And wondering what happened to it. And this, this is what they're saying. They're, they're saying, hey, you're doing all this work. You're not getting any of it. And it's because of your sin. That's why the oppression was coming. But then verse 6 And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. Finally, they're in trouble. They cry out to the Lord. But hey, verse 1 reminds us how long they waited. They waited seven years. Right? That's how long they were in oppression. Seven years before they cried out to the Lord. Seven years. So that we know that prayer wasn't the first thing. You know what it was? It was the last resort. We do that too sometimes, don't we? It was the last resort. Instead of first going to the Lord, instead of first taking it to Him, we exhaust all of our uh, solutions. We exhaust everything, all our resources, and everything else. Then we take it to the Lord. And I, I've admitted it myself. I I try to help the Lord. Uh, I'll I'll fix these parts, and then Lord, you do this part, right? I can't do this, but I'll do all these things for you. When in all reality, He just wants us to trust Him and call on Him, and just uh, just take our problems to Him. But remember, what did we see? Disobedience. Then they're in distress. Then they're crying out to the Lord. Then they're delivered. But the deliverance in this chapter doesn't start till verse verse 11. When the Lord visits Gideon. And we're not going to talk about that. But I was looking through this passage and I it really hit me from they cry out to the Lord and in verse six and what really hit me uh, is is they're crying out and in verse seven it talks about them crying out but then you see verses eight nine and ten and that's what really caught my attention so they cried out to the Lord But this time, before he sends a deliverer, he sends a message to them. So this is verse 8, that the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, which said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt, and brought you forth out of the house of bondage, and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, and out of the hand of all that oppressed you, and drave them out from before you, and gave you their land. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the gods of the Amorites, in whose land ye dwell, but ye have not obeyed my voice. He sends a prophet to remind them of a few things. He says, I've brought you out of Egypt. Remember, they got confused about that in the past, right? They thought uh, instead of God, it was a golden calf or Moses or somebody else. He reminds them yet again, I'm the one that brought you out of there. I'm the one that got you out of Pharaoh's hand. I delivered you out of their power, out of their house and everything else. I I brought you out of that. I gave you the land that you're in right now. Uh, I have done these things. uh, and, uh, And he says, I and I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Fear not the God of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. And he's saying, hey, you're afraid of the enemy right now, right? That's who you're afraid of. You're afraid of the Midianites because they're, uh, and we'll find Gideon. You know where we find him in a few verses? He is uh, threshing wheat. You know, he's throwing it up in the air so that chaff would be separated and you'd have the wheat. That's what he's doing, throwing it up. And when you do that, you want to be up on a hill. So the wind comes and helps you. But you know where he's at? He's down in a wine press." You know where that's at? That's in the valley where the vineyard is. So he's throwing this up where there's no wind because he's hiding. He's in hiding because he knows uh, if 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 somebody knows I've got wheat, they're going to steal it from me. The enemy's going to take it. So they're all in hiding right here. They are afraid of the enemy. But here's the thing. The enemy only had its power because of the end of verse 10. But you've not obeyed my voice. That gave the enemy the power. It was the sin. It was doing evil in the sight of the Lord. It was not obeying the Lord. That gave the enemy all of its power. Same thing's true with us. Same thing. The children of Israel thought their problem was the Midianites, the Amalekites, because they're stealing their food, their flocks. But the true problem for Israel was Israel. And isn't that true? And he sent them this message, And you're thinking, man, it almost feels like God's rubbing it in. It's almost like God's saying, but no, you know what God's doing? What happened between, what happens between the, uh, uh, why, why is he saying this? Why is he putting the deliverer down here? He's putting the message from the prophet and their prayer up here. You know what that tells me? He's responding to their prayer and their prayer was wrong, right? Their prayer was misguided. Because what I believe what they were saying is, Lord, you need to get rid of our problem. Right? You need to get, Lord, get rid of the Midianites. Lord, uh, help us to defeat them. Lord, help us to get rid of the Amalekites and everything else. They're crying out to the Lord and they're they're frustrated and everything else. They've been doing this for seven years. We're, We're not making any ground. We can't get rid of them. They're too strong. They have too many camels and just complaining to the Lord and everything else. And I'll go back to Joshua. Remember, after the defeat of Ai, he's complaining to the Lord. And the Lord stops him and says, hold on with that prayer. And what's he tell Joshua? There's sin in the camp. That's the problem. What's he doing right there? He's saying, hold on. Here's the problem. There's evil in the nation. You want to fix the problem? you got to fix yourselves. That's what he's telling them. You've got this problem with the enemy, and all you're seeing is the enemy, but you're not seeing yourself. He's saying, listen, he doesn't tell them, but listen, God said, I allowed it to happen. I caused it to happen. And it happened to wake you up. They needed to realize their problem with this was within, their problem was sin. And here's the thing. If you pray to God and you ask him to remove the consequences of your sin, he will never do it. Never. Mike, how do you know that? Because, he says, you will reap. What's he say? Be not deceived. You will reap, and I'm paraphrasing, you will reap what you sow. You sow to the flesh, you're going to reap to the flesh. Right? Right? If he took away the consequences for sin. Now I'm not, ta- I'm say- I'm not saying he can't forgive the sin. Because he will. He is righteous and just to forgive us our sins. If you confess it. If you trust in Jesus Christ as your savior. If you admit that you're a sinner. If you repent. Uh, and you go to him uh, with a humble contrite spirit. You cry out to him. And you ask him to forgive your sins. He will forgive them. He'll cast them as far as the east is from the west. But the consequences will stay. Right? That, that adultery and that child out of wedlock, he's not killing that child, right? Or whatever, you could just fill in the blank with that sin. You, will, you may have to, and there are people that have to live with consequences the rest of their lives of sin, but what you can do is turn that into a testimony and say, hey, I was headed down this path, this is what I was doing, and God turned me around. Praise the Lord. But he will not take those away. He'll forgive you, he won't remove the consequences of sin. And this is what he was doing. And yet again, he's showing mercy and grace to them because what he could have done is just ignore their cries and not, not let them get overrun, not to let them get completely demolished, but he could have ignored every one of their cries until they uh, started praying the right way and saying, Lord, forgive us of our sin, right? Lord, forgive us because we are doing evil in your sight. He could have just ignored them. But no, in his grace and mercy, he sent that prophet to say, hey, here's the problem. Here's the problem. This is what you need to fix. Praying wasn't wrong. Crying out to the Lord wasn't the wrong thing to do. But they were saying the wrong things. They needed to confess. And then the deliverer would come. And then we get the story of Gideon and, and God working through him. But you stop and think about that. They're in their sin. They're doing evil in the sight of the Lord. They're crying out to the Lord. Save us, Lord. Right? Save us from the enemy. Save us from the oppression. Save us from the consequences of sin. And what's he do? He sends them the truth. And the truth was about themselves. You've not been obeying me. And then, if they change their prayer, the Deliverer comes. It's the same formula, isn't it? It's the same formula. Jesus Christ is not listening to the cries of sinners that are trying to get the results of their sin taken away. Right? He is not listening to them when, they, when a backslider doesn't understand why they're miserable and they're outside of the will of God he will not take that away because he loves cuz he's merciful if he ignored it and he just let you go on that path and he didn't chastise us and he didn't send depression and he didn't bring a wake up call he wouldn't be loving and merciful he just that'd be like letting your kid just walk out into the out into the busy road and say well i've told them i guess they're going to learn right no he runs out and he stops He sends a prophet and he says, hey, you don't even know what you're doing right now. You don't even realize it. You think the problem is outside, the problem's inside. And guess what happens? You know what I've realized many times over the years? I've thought the problem was somewhere else. Right? I thought the problem was somewhere in the world. I thought the problem was, you know, maybe someone inside the church that was aggravating me. And a lot of times the problem was right here right here aren't you glad he's merciful but guess what he was merciful in the old testament too don't listen to those people that say he only became merciful and graceful and everything else Uh, when the new testament rolls around he's always been that way and then he sends gideon he uses a man that's scared to death and i love i think what's he what's he call him right off the bat i love this part he says The angel comes to him in verse 12. The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. Who's in hiding uh, there uh, trying to hide and everything else. And he's saying, what? Can you say that again? (laughs) You know what that tells me? God was telling Gideon, he's saying, hey, I look at you. I don't look at the way. I don't look at you the way that you look at you. You see yourself as little and defeated and can't do anything. And God was telling him what he would become. Because Gideon, with the 300, was a mighty man of valor, trusting in the Lord. Right? He's looking at him and saying, hey, I see what you will be if you'll trust me. Aren't you glad he looks at us the same way? What a God.